why is it that the idea of telling others about Jesus, why does that seem to send shudders through a lot of us and most of us actually? Most of us ordinary, regular, everyday Christians are reluctant at best and afraid at worst. As a young Christian, for some reason, probably the Holy Spirit, I was somewhat fearless about telling my friends that I was a Christian and inviting them along to youth group events and and church events. But as I grew up, and even after doing short-term missions activities and um, being involved in outreach activities both overseas and in Melbourne, I noticed that I became afraid of talking about Jesus to non-Christians. And I think this is for a couple of reasons. I was afraid of losing face, of kind of losing respect amongst my peers. I was afraid of losing friends. And I was afraid of offending others. I became, I think, enculturated into our polite postmodern sensibilities where um, we tend to accept differences of faith without ever wanting to cause offence to anyone. And where it seemed to me to kind of grind against my cultural sensibilities to suggest in conversation to people that I believe that in Jesus I've found the way to complete fullness of life, to complete meaning and purpose in life. So I became timid and I felt afraid. And as churches, our times have changed, haven't they? Once we could make evangelism about invitation to church or an outreach event or if we felt really brave even to a Bible study group, we would do the inviting and the church would do the rest. They would share the gospel, bring them to conversion and then they'd join a group and become discipled through perhaps a small group or something like that. And a lot of this approach had merit. But in the last 10 years, let me ask you a question. How many of you have actually invited a non-Christian friend or family member to a church-run outreach event? Well, our current situation with COVID at the moment has obviously basically eradicated this whole approach to evangelism and mission at the moment, hasn't it? We can't run events. We can't even do informal meals as small groups. So where does the mission of the church happen now? How does the church approach its mission to make disciples of our community? Well, I think these verses in Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 to 6 give us the starting place. And thankfully, I don't think it's too intimidating at at all. It's as if this is kind of saying to us, you can do it. So let's have a look at it. So these few verses are in the end part of these series of instructions that Paul's given in his letter to the Colossians about what a renewed life looks like. Remember back at the start of Colossians, Paul explains that Jesus is the revelation of the mystery of God's plans to recreate and renew the whole world and to reconcile all things to himself. In chapter 2, we saw Paul explaining how the gospel, the mystery of Jesus' all supremacy and all sufficiency, affects 
the very core of our identity, of who we are, such that we put off our old self and its worldly ways and we put on the new self, the love, the grace, the gentleness and patience of Jesus himself. And then Paul moved to talking about how Jesus affects the renewal of interpersonal relationships, of families and homes, where we see God's salvation plan at work in creating a new humanity through God's people who relate to each other in distinctly radical ways from the rest of the world, turning power relationships upside down as we all come together in submission under Christ. So from chapter 3 to this point in chapter 4, we're seeing the powerful difference that Jesus and his reign of grace in us actually makes in our communities and society as a whole. So from a broken, um, for a broken and a messed up world, the lives of Christians should look so different and they should actually look wonderfully attractive to others. And so we see then that we are actually participants in Jesus' work of renewal and recreation by the way that we live, by the way that we relate to each other. And now in verses 2 to 6 of chapter 4, we see how we are participants in God's mission. How? Through our conversations. That's it. It's that simple. (laughs) It's through our conversation with God and our conversation to others. It's not some fandangled new approach to mission and evangelism that's just come about. No, it's been here all along. You can pray. And you can talk. So look at verses 2 to 4. It says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul sees the church in Colossae as his spiritual partners in mission. Their prayers are crucial for the spread of the gospel and for the effectiveness of Paul's ministry. Just like Bethany shared with us last week, we are partners in her mission in Cambodia and our prayers are so important for God's work through her. But so too in our context, We are partners in God's mission in our part of the world, in the hills. And our prayers are crucial for opening up the opportunities for the gospel message to be shared in our community. So when we bring people before God in prayer, we're doing a few things. Firstly, we're participating in how God's already at work in drawing all things to himself. And secondly, we're calling on the sufficient power of God to achieve his will on earth as it is in heaven, both at the level of individual lives and at the macro level of nations and political, social and economic systems. 
And so when we pray for people who aren't yet living in a relationship with Jesus, we're connecting them to the will of God that they find fullness and fellowship and freedom in Christ. So don't underestimate the power of your prayers. They're a crucial part of how God's at work in renewing our world. Now, as a church, we've um, this year and last year um, participated in the Thy Kingdom Come global prayer movement. And through that, we've encouraged each member of our church to be praying for um, people in our lives who don't yet know Jesus. And I think it's so important that we keep praying for these people in a regular way. So whether you're praying for one person or five people or more, find a way to keep praying for them. Integrate prayer for them into your spiritual rhythms in your life. It could be by praying for one person each day of the week. I like to use my time doing dishes actually as a regular opportunity for um, to pray for people. Or maybe you could write their names on a sticky note and stick it on your mirror so that when you're brushing your teeth, you can be praying for these people in your life. But think of something that keeps these people in front of you and in your mind regularly so that you pray for them um, in your day-to-day life um, and you keep remembering to, to pray for them and bring them before God. So we're supposed to do this and keep doing it, to keep at it basically, keep praying and keep watching and believing and being expectant that God's going to open up opportunities. I remember a couple of years ago, and it was actually in the as part of the Thy Kingdom Come prayer week um, that we were in, I was praying for another mum who I'd met at the primary school that our twins were going to at the time. So we'd often linger after school to let our kids play on the playground um, and we kind of had developed a bit of a friendship through this. And I remember one day, um, I knew that I'd be seeing her later that day um, in the afternoon. I remember specifically praying that God would open up an opportunity so that our conversation could go a bit deeper, so that we could talk about spiritual things. And even for God to open up an opportunity for me to talk with her about Jesus. That afternoon, in the midst of our conversation, she just came straight out and asked me about what I believe. (laughs) And I was able to begin sharing with her the good news of Jesus, of, of what I believed about him. And we were able to continue this conversation um, at other times when we met up at school. I'm telling you this story because God answers our prayers and we need to be expectant that he will answer our prayers and watchful for the opportunities that he will bring. And so this is why we come to these next couple of verses, to being ready to talk about Jesus in conversation with others. So verses 5 to 6 read, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Well, one of the things that irks me about Christians is how off-putting they can be, right? (laughs) Uh, 
we've probably um, we can probably think of a recent example of someone who says they're a Christian, but the kind of attitude that they display in their approach to life is kind of a bit off. And we can also probably think of conversations we've been in where another Christian has perhaps been a bit too critical or even a bit aggressive in the way that they talk about their opinions or the way they've talked about another worldview or religion, and especially around people who aren't Christians. It's a bit off-putting, isn't it? Ravi Zacharias, he was a famous apologist who died recently. He shared the Indian proverb which said, after you cut off a person's nose, there's no point giving them a rose to smell. In other words, if you've so put down someone else's faith or worldview as if cutting off their nose, the sweet aroma of Christ will never come through to them. So we've got to be wise in the way that we talk and act among non-Christians and in the public sphere. But not to the other extreme where we don't ever say anything. We're to be a church that can hold its own in the social setting of our town and our streets, our meal tables and our social media presence and win attention by the attractiveness of our lives and our speech. So as these verses say, our conversations are to be full of grace and seasoned with salt. What does this mean though? Well, I think it's the opposite of something leaving a really bad taste in your mouth. Just like salt always seems to uh, make things taste that little bit better, so too our words are meant to help make people want to know more. Having conversations being full of grace means taking out all the harshness, the judgment, the ridicule, the insincerity and the aggression out of our conversations. Just as we are to clothe ourselves in the new self with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, these are meant to penetrate into our speech as in, and into the way that we talk as well. And it means talking in a way that expresses Jesus' peace, forgiveness and reconciliation, that sweet aroma of Christ. We don't need to vie for power and influence in our conversations, but like Christ who wrote in the sand while the men um, around him brought words of condemnation and judgment of the woman caught in adultery. Where to make the most of the opportunities that present by speaking words that are saturated with grace. And just as we pray for opportunities for people to hear and receive the gospel, we need to be prepared to be the answer to those prayers, watchful and alert to the opportunities that God might bring to us. So how would you answer people if they asked you about why you believe in Jesus? What will you say if people ask you about your story of how you became a Christian? How will you answer someone if they ask you what Jesus means for you and for your life? What will you say if someone asks you what it's like to be a Christian 
or why you're a part of a church. Now, please don't feel intimidated by this. I think it's important that we remember back to earlier in the letter when Paul talked about the sufficiency of Christ. I think we can grow in our confidence in our words to non-Christians because we can be completely confident in the supremacy of God's power at work through us and our words. Let's look back to chapter 1, verse 5 to 6, which says, You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it. It's the word of the gospel, the message of the good news of Jesus, that is powerfully bearing fruit and growing around the world and among us. So grow in your confidence, in your story of coming to know Jesus and of who Jesus is and what he means to you. And don't feel ashamed or embarrassed about the idea of talking to people about Jesus. Sure, we don't need to force open the doors, but when the opportunities come to us, when the opportunities arise, we can rest in the sufficiency of Christ and his gospel and put the words to what we believe. As we close, I just want to finish on a couple of thoughts. Uh, when our family started at St Mark's last year, uh, driving up into the hills um, each time we'd come to church, we'd always notice the uh, fire signs, the fire rating signs and the signs that say, prepare, act, survive. Uh, in a lot of ways, this part of Colossians is kind of saying the same thing. We're to prepare the spiritual ground through prayer and be alert to what's happening around us in our times. We're to act through our lives and our words, telling others of the grace in Jesus in and through our conversations. And this is not only how the church will survive, but grow and thrive. In these times of lockdown, there are still opportunities for conversations. We can speak to people over the phone and on FaceTime and Zoom. We can offer to pray for people. We can share a passage of scripture with people to encourage them. We can ask them if they want to read the Bible with us over Zoom and talk about it. We sent out last week in our newsletter a link to our page on our website, which is a wonderful um, summary of how we can share God's love during this season of COVID. So if you haven't read, read it, please do. And please pray about what you can try out in your current situation and circumstances at the moment. You know, I believe that God is giving our church opportunities left, right and centre. And God's preparing us and readying us to be doing church differently. It's no longer only about the big community events or outreach programs. But just like Bethany said last week, it's about the behind the scenes, everyday conversations and small interactions that we have with people that God's already put in our lives to be real about the hope that we have in Jesus.
So I want to encourage you today to be praying and thinking about how God is asking you to participate with him in his mission of renewing the people and the communities around you. In a moment, we're going to have some a, a chance to keep reflecting a bit more about this um, through some discussion questions. But before that, let me pray for us. Gracious and sufficient Saviour, we're in awe of your work in renewing the world and of how you've called us to participate with you in this world-changing mission. May we be people whose lives have a powerful outward orientation and through our conversation with you and with others, come to experience your renewal in the lives, communities and world around us. In your powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.